en hartelike goeiemorgen. Welkom by ons program Skrifteerlik, waar ons wekelijk saam na oplossing soek uit die skrifte, vervra waarmee gewone mense sikkel. Die Bijbel sê in Johannes 17, 17, jy woord is waarheid, heilig hulle na jy woord. En Psalm 119, 105 sê, jy woord is een lamp vir my voete en een licht vir my pad. Kom dan saam met ons vir die volgende uur, wanneer ons geen steen onaangeraag laat, om die waarheid te vind en licht te skyn op die vraag uit die skrifte, waarmee ek en jy moendik kan worstel nie. Krij dus gauw jou Bijbel en kom onderzoek saam met ons die skrifte. Dis moes nou skrifteerlik. Our family is just getting bigger and bigger. Welcome to 657 AM. Ja, ons familie groei hier by die eer en ons is die Heere baie dankbaar daarvoor. Doorloos het aangestap 8 minuut over 11. Hartelike goeiemorgen vanuit ons ateliers hier in Kilner Park in Pretoria. And yes, it is freezing cold, but he made it on time and in time this morning. Rocky Stevenson, good morning my brother, how are you keeping? Yeah, very well, thank you Vainan. Wonderful to be here. Yeah, wonderful to have you yet another round around the block and uh, looking at the God's word if you're struggling with God's word somewhere somehow somebody said something that absolutely doesn't make sense then this is the program to listen to dit is die program waar in jou vraag stuur en uh, ons hanteer het levendig op die licht saam met my in die atelier Benoni Bible Church Rocky Stevenson en pastor ek denk nou aan sy epos adres terwijl ek uh, hom voorstel en dis dan pastor at benonibiblechurch.co.za waarin mense dan gewoonlik hulle vraag stuur of jy kan het hier vir ons in die atelier ook stuur. We've got a jam-packed program so let's get to it. Uh, 082-657-2729 That's the well-known WhatsApp number that we use in studio as jy vraag het 082 2729 Moenie bekommer, as jou mis nie, ons sal om heel wat gereelte dier die program vir jou gee, maar as jy dalk na skrifgedeelte verwees, stier die vir ons saam, dit maak het net soveel makkelijker hier in die atelier. Rocky, let's get uh, rolling, and uh, we spoke about predestination last time. Um, can I start by asking you, and I think the question for discussion, and we made a promise that we will t- tackle it wholeheartedly this week, um, how, when it comes to predestination, what does it actually mean? Where does the whole concept of predestination come from? And what did we say to the listener with regards to predestination? Yes. So predestination comes from the Latin word uh, predestinatio, and that was where we get our English word predestination, which it actually uh, comes then from the Greek, which means to determine beforehand. So that's the actual meaning of the word. And right. It's always helpful to go back to the meaning of the word because, I mean, that's what we would do even with something like baptism. You know, we would talk about baptizo being immersion. And so it's important to think about what does the actual word mean? It means to determine beforehand. And so it's helpful to be reminded of that because it speaks about the fact that that when it comes about believing that God already has determined who will be saved and who will will be damned in that sense. And so there's he knows beforehand. Now the passages that come to mind are you know, there's three major passages really. Romans eight verse twenty nine to thirty, which says, Because those whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. 
so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And so this term is a biblical term. Other passages that you see this is in Romans nine twenty nine, eleven verse 29, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7, Ephesians 1. Now that's another key passage is Ephesians 1 verse 4 to 5, which says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, by predestining us by adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good measure of his will. And then Second Timothy 1 verse 9, which, which says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, with which, it, which it was given to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Now, there's three major views in Christian thinking regarding predestination. And it's helpful for us to realize this because in, and in South Africa, the two dominant ones that come to mind, I think almost immediately for any listener would be Calvinism and Arminianism. And those would be the two extremes yeah. of this view. But there is also something that is called uh, Molinism. Now, Molinism kind of takes, I wouldn't say necessarily a middle road because it's a different road than Calvinism or Arminianism. So let me explain those three briefly. Calvinism believes that God has predestined who will be saved and who will not be saved. This means that there is nothing that we can do to change God's plan. Calvinism believes that God's sovereignty is absolute and that he is in control and of everything that happens. So even there's an element where you can easily fall into with that almost a fatalism because, well, God already decided it, and then what, what are we even, yeah, what, what are we even doing? Use? What is yeah. the use? What is yeah. our responsibility? Yeah. Arminianism, on the flip side, believes that God has given us free will and that our choices determine whether or not we will be saved. This means that we have the power to choose whether or not to accept God or in his offer of salvation. And Arminians believe that God desires that all people be saved, but that he will not force anyone to be saved. Then Molinism, which is quite an interesting third option, uh, Molinists believe that God has a plan for all of us, but that he allows us to make our own choices within his plan for the world, and that he will work with those choices to bring about his ultimate plan. So Molinists believe that God is both sovereign and loving. And so that is the, the major concept within the Molinist type of a yeah, thinking. Yeah. God is both sovereign and loving and that he wants us to have a genuine relationship with him. Not a forced relationship, but a relationship that we do choose to, to turn toward the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And he has provided a savior so that we can be made right with God. It does not reject God's sovereignty, but it uplifts God's sovereignty with God's love. So ultimately, our response to predestination should be one actually of worship as well as one of obedience. While we even think through these concepts, we should worship God for his sovereign plan. And some of it is kind of mysterious in a sense. And there's, a, there's an element of even mystery that is attached to this. We should obey him by, by living out our lives in a way that honors him. Whether or not we believe in uh, predestination from a Calvinist, Arminian, or Molinist kind of, uh, Molinism kind of a aspect. But we should strive then to live our lives in a way that will bring glory to the name of God. And, and I think what's 
maybe a helpful thing for the listener. It's okay to not fully understand. And I think that's where some people will come and say, well, you have to understand all of these concepts. You have to get all of this. It's okay to not fully understand. It's okay to not fully understand predestination. It's there in the Bible. And so so you cannot deny it because God's word teaches it. So you can't say, oh, well, I just don't believe in predestination. Well, you've you got to say, well, I'm, it's there in God's word, and God's word says it in multiple passages. So the problem isn't God in his communication. The problem is often us with our understanding of God's word. And there may be things that, that are in the Bible that we don't fully understand, like grace. Who can really understand grace? I mean, that's something that the more that you study about it, the more that you are more befathomed, I mean, you like... How, how is it that this great God has done what he's done when yeah. it comes to grace? Or what about the Trinity? You know, we've had questions on that before, but you can never really understand it. And if you try and make some illustration, you fall into some kind of blasphemy because you can't fully understand the Trinity. And how do we come to understand these things? Well, by faith. God said it, so therefore I believe it. Childlike faith. Childlike faith. Well, God has, God has put it in his word. And these are mysteries that can only be accepted by believing faith. So, however, even though we may not fully understand these things, we will worship God and we must obey God. So, in conclusion to the thinking on predestination, it's such a complex issue, but it's, Im- it's an important one to study. It's important for us to go to our Bibles with, an, with a heart that says, Lord, help me to understand your ways and help me to take your word and, and let your word mean what it means without me coming with my own pre- preconceived kind of ideas. And when we understand in predestination, we can then better understand God's sovereignty and his plan for us and his love for us. And we can then grow in our worship and our obedience to him. Uh, somebody just made a very interesting remark. So Molinism is like me choosing three options of clothing for my three-year-old and then give him or her the option, the freedom to choose out of the three. Uh, your response to that? Yeah, I think I think that's a nice <laughs> illustration because there is a sense where you as a loving parent are going like, hey, I, I am wanting my child to be dressed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I want my child to have some kind of an option with, with what they're going to be wearing here. And, and there is an element where I'm enjoying the fact that my child has this ability to say, I would like to wear the pink clothes today instead of the purple clothes or the turquoise clothes. Yeah. So yeah. I do think that is a helpful way of thinking through it in that sense but it also gives room for the fact that we are not robot you know we're not robots we've not been made yes. like the angels yeah. and, I, and i think this is something that satan gets so frustrated about with regard to human beings because he doesn't have any option to get back in the right books with god there's no yeah. repentance that is extended to him and god in his mercy has extended himself to us and we're such broken creatures but he's 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 not forcing us his way or forcing us that way. He he wants us to have a loving relationship with him who is the God who loves us. And he has loved us in Christ while we were still enemies. Can you imagine how much he loves us now that we are sons and daughters yeah. of the Most High? And salvation is not as simple as I think sometimes we have in theological textbooks. It's it's much more complex than that. And it's this constant, this relationship with God as we grow in our understanding of these things. So I would encourage the listener, keep on reading the Bible and keep on having a, a childlike heart faith where you come to God's word and you let God's word mean what God's word means and, yeah. you, and you let God say what God says. Now, of course, that, that you must understand his word and you must yeah. understand. 
understand. Because the Lord is not confused. Yes. God, not, is not, God is not confused. Not. We're struggling with this, but God is not confused with and, this. And I think what, what it should drive us towards, instead of debate or argument, it should drive us towards wonder. And what I mean by that is that when we look at these large concepts that we have in God's word, it should drive our worship. We should be going, wow, God is so big. God is so great. But I think the sad reality is it devolves often into a, a place of debate. Oh, but you believe this thing about God and you believe that thing about yeah. it. And you end up getting so muddy instead of actually looking up and worshiping because of the great God who has given us a savior in our yeah. Lord Jesus Christ yeah. so that we can be made right with him. Could, could we bring the scripture in here that says the letter killeth, but it's the spirit that brings life? Because uh, does that apply here? Because if we start uh, saying, well, this is the way I believe, this is how it is, here's the scripture for it, uh, we could alienate people, uh, chase them away from God's word. What do yeah. you say? Yeah, look, I think, I think it's so helpful for us to have a humble attitude before God word where we, yeah. where we actually like biltong will chew on it to yeah. get all the goodness out you know, right. and kind of suck on the marrow of God's word as such all right. you know, and, and get that goodness out and realize that all of us are actually in this process of sanctification where we are growing in our appreciation yeah. of who God is I mean I used to think that the dominant um, let's say the dominant concept in the whole of the scriptures was the glory of God yeah. that, that was and I mean that is a huge concept yes but as I've studied God's word more, I've come to see that the dominant actually is God's massive, amazing love. Yeah. You know, you even look at Exodus 34 where, where God passes before, and I've just done that passage in our, in our morning sermon at Benoni Bible Church. And he passes before Moses, and what does he declare? Yahweh, Yahweh God, compassionate and gracious. That's the first thing that God says in a whole list. Of his attributes, and we're going to be studying those in the next few weeks at Benoni yeah. Bible Church. But compassionate and and gracious—that's what he chooses to say first when he speaks about himself. He doesn't declare glorious and most glorious. Yeah, we know that he's most glorious. Yeah, he is most glorious. Of course. But he what is. is he putting on display in the most wonderful way throughout the Scriptures? Is his redemptive plan through a Savior? By this we know love that he has sent his only begotten Son into this world. I mean, we, we see the love of God. He puts him on display, and that is the preeminent um, aspect of his character. And we see that in Christ as well in Matthew Amen. 8, 28, uh, 11, 28, mm. when he says, Come to me, you heavy burden. Yes. For my yoke yes. is light. My, yes. my, my, my burden is light. You see that yeah. where, where Jesus, God in the flesh, says, Come to me. And it, it's, a, it's a humble God almost, you yeah. could say. And the compassion and the grace of God yeah. being such a major theme. I do think that the ways that we think about the attributes of God affect the ways that we will worship him. All right. Okay, let's move on. The number in studio, if you've got a question, you're welcome to send it through. Away to 657-2729. We received a question from a listener, and it was with reference to Psalm 69 and verse 28. I think it's going to tie in beautifully with this predestination question. Question, but uh, you, you be the judge of that. Uh, where it says, may they be erased or wiped out. Some translations that use the word blotted out from the book of life. Other translations says the book of living. And this uh, verse then sometimes interpreted to opposed, once save, always save, uh, even predestination. Rocky, your comments on this. Why do we answer this listener? Yeah, this, the psalmist is, what's helpful to realize is that the psalmist uses v various literary devices in Psalm 69. If any of the listeners have been listening to 
technical Thursday on Let's Talk, they would they would understand some of what what I'm saying now. But he includes metaphors, he includes hyperbole, and he includes imprecation. So this is an imprecatory psalm, in, in, and I'm sure you've heard that, that term. Where Smite them, Lord. Yes, like the, there's a judgment element to this. Yeah. But this is also a lament psalm. Yeah. And so when we understand the genre of the psalms and that it's poetry, this is basically a poem that is written in a very deep, difficult situation from the psalmist. Metaphor is a figure of speech that compares two unlike things. In Psalm 69, the psalmist uses a metaphor to compare his enemies to dogs and to jackals. In verse 24, hyperbole is a figure of speech that exaggerates something for effect. So you exaggerate it. You know, you you make it so much bigger than than what it is. I've walked 10,000 miles today when I only walked 2.2 kilometers. You exaggerate it. And in Psalm 69, the psalmist uses hyperbole to describe his own suffering. He says that it is that he is oppressed and crushed in verse 29. Was he literally crushed? Now, that he uses those terms yeah. to exaggerate what his emotional state is like and, and that he is like water that is poured out in verse 20. So he uses these terms to build like the anticipation inside of the psalm. And then um, imprecation inside of the psalm, as, as it is an imprecatory psalm, is a prayer or curse that calls for God's judgment on someone. And in Psalm 69, the psalmist uses imprecation to call for God to remember his enemies and to visit them with his wrath in verse 28. So it's important to understand that these literary devices, in order to then understand what Psalm 69 actually talks about and to be able to interpret it correctly. And the psalmist is not literally comparing his enemies to dogs or jackals. He's using metaphor to express his hatred in that sense. He's not literally saying that he's been oppressed and crushed. He's using hyperbole to exaggerate the intensity of his suffering. And finally, the psalmist is not literally calling um, for God to curse his enemies. He's using imprecation to express his desire for God to bring justice to them. So the psalmist in Psalm 69 um, can, can be... It, it can be difficult to actually understand some of this. But when we understand the fact that this is a genre of poetry and that he's using the language in a beautiful way to express his heart, that's when we can actually now understand better. And it gives us this glimpse into the psalmist's heart, his mind. It helps us to understand his relationship with God, the fact that he's pouring out his heart to God. And it reminds us of the suffering that he went through. So that's all important in regard to Psalm 69, that it's a poem. And as such, should be interpreted in light of that genre. Poetry often uses figurative language to express ideas and emotions. And that's important when it comes to this. So in keeping those things in mind, we begin to then understand that the psalmist is re- what he's really saying in Psalm 69. He's expressing his hatred for his enemies, his disgust at their actions, his suffering at their hands, and he's calling on God to bring justice to them. He's looking to God who says, vengeance is mine. And he's leaving the vengeance to God. And he's saying, you're the one that said vengeance is You can have this vengeance. And so Psalm 69 is this powerful and a moving poem. And it helps us to then understand the human experience of suffering. If you're suffering, go read Psalm 69. And you can see this, this beauty there. It can help us then to understand God's nature of justice. It helps us to be reminded that, it is, that he's always with us, even in our darkest moments. So then we come to that phrase, erased 
or wiped out from the book of life? That appears in, in verse 28 as the question asks in, in uh, Psalm 69. And this phrase often is used to support the idea that salvation can be lost. But is that the right way to approach that passage? It is not, based on the poetry, based on the figure of speech, etc. It's important to remember that this is just one interpretation of that verse. And people jump to that, which is in the poetry, and they make a big argument about that, and then they lose the whole meaning of the rest of that psalm. And they don't actually see then the wood, they don't see the wood for the trees yeah. with this. And and so let me work us through that a little bit more. It takes it takes into account when we take into account the literary devices in the Psalms that it is using, it seems more likely that the phrase erased or wiped out from the book of life is a metaphor for God's judgment on those who have done evil because he's used so many metaphors throughout the rest of the Psalm. He's brought exaggerations and you can see he's bringing this emotion. So however, it's, you know, if, if we had to take the possibility that the phrase erased or wiped out from the book of life, if we had to take that literally, should we take the rest of the psalm literally? Were his enemies really jackals? Were they really dogs? Was he really being crushed in a grinder? So where do we take literal and where do we take metaphor when the rest of the psalm is metaphorical and when the rest of the psalm is, in a sense, um, hyperbole in that way? So this would mean that the psalmist believed, if we take it that way, literally, and say that erased and wiped out from the book of life, if we take it literally, then we would have to say, well, the psalmist believes that salvation can be lost. And that's then a really complex situation and not easy necessarily to then think through other passages in the Bible. Because then we go to other passages that are not using metaphor and that are not using exaggeration and that are not poetry like John ten twenty eight, where Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. This verse tells us that if you truly are saved, and I would change the wording from once saved, always saved, to wording like if saved, always saved. If somebody is saved, they will always be saved because Jesus says so right there. And he's not using metaphor. He's not using hyperbole. He's not using exaggeration. He's not in, this is not, He's in, saying it, a six-year-old can understand it. it. Right there, yeah. like this is the actual fact. Yeah. You know, and there's other passages like Romans eight twenty-eight to 39, where, I mean, we were earlier on reading Romans eight twenty-nine to, to 30, but if you look at 38 to 39, it says, For I am convinced that neither nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything other, other created thing will be able to separate us. And he's speaking about us being the Christian from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, that is far extending. And these passages suggest very strongly that salvation is the gift from God that cannot be taken away. I think where the confusion comes, Venant, is where people think that they can earn their salvation. Mm. So if they could earn their salvation, then they could lose their salvation. But let me tell you, if you could, if it was in your power to earn your salvation, you definitely would lose your salvation. (laughs) (laughs) We would definitely lose our salvation. If it was not the gift from God above, as the rest of the scriptures teach, then we would definitely be completely undone. You know, we would definitely lose it if we could lose it. So while it's possible that the psalmist in Psalm 69 believes that salvation can be lost, is that view consistent with the rest of the Bible? Of course not. 
So it would be better to say that we that that the psalmist most likely did not believe that, but was using metaphor, and was using a, a poetry to get this. They are clear and straightforward statements about the nature of salvation through the rest of the Bible that that highlight this for us. Now, the Bible sometimes is complex and confusing to understand, and that's one of the reasons that I do Technical Thursday with the hermeneutics and why I belabor some of the language, etc., because it's important for us to realize the genre of Scripture. And it contains many different genres of literature, and it was written by different people at different times. This means that there are some passages that are actually more clear than other passages. And there's a principle hermeneutically, and I'm sure you've heard this principle before, Use the more clear passages to understand the less clear passages. And that's a a fantastic uh, principle to apply. When we come across a passage that is unclear and we start to think to ourselves, is the psalmist saying that you can lose your salvation in this passage? It doesn't seem very clear, does it, when we're looking at the metaphorical language through that passage. So let's go to some other more clear passages in the Bible that actually are dealing specifically with salvation as a topic. Because if we have to look at Psalm 69, the context is not even dealing with salvation. It's a lament psalm. And I'll talk through that just briefly to help the listener think through this. Because sometimes we do miss the wood for the trees. We, We focus in and we zoom in. On that one phrase, wiped out of the book of life, and then we go, and all the wheels come off, and then we can't even see Psalm 69 anymore in the context of what God, through the Holy Spirit, has given us Psalm 69. So if we're reading the psalm and we see suggestions that salvation can be lost, we can look at passages in the Gospels or in the Epistles that suggest very firmly that salvation cannot be lost, if indeed salvation has Um, has come to one and by comparing the different passages in the bible we can get then a better understanding of what the author is trying to say and what the idea is so let's look at psalm 69 just briefly and i don't know if a listener has their bible open or not but you can go study psalm 69 later it's a lament psalm it's a prayer for god uh, to to god for help in a time of great distress The psalmist is suffering with various problems, including poverty, persecution, betrayal. He feels abandoned by God and abandoned by his friends. That's the the weightiness behind the psalm. And the psalmist's prayer is full of emotions. You can see that. He uses strong language to express his pain, his frustration. He cries out to God for help. And dear listener, you can do the same as the psalmist. We can cry out to God for help in the difficult times that we're in. And then he asks God, he says, God, please vindicate me against my enemies. And so the psalmist prays full of hope because he believes that God will hear his prayer and deliver him from his troubles. He trusts that God will not abandon him and that he knows that God is ultimately in control. And one of the dangers of futile arguments, and I, and I, don't, I want to be sensitive with that, but, but I'm going to use that terminology anyway, and this question was an anonymous question. I do believe that there are futile arguments that sometimes link on a small piece inside of the broader context, and then a big argument is made about that little piece there. One of the dangers of futile arguments about a minor part in Psalm 69 is that it can distract from the actual theme of the psalm. The psalm is a prayer for help from God in a time of distress, great distress. It is not a theological treatise on the nature of salvation. That's not what this psalm is. This psalm was not written so that we would have a theological debate about salvation. This psalm was written so that you would have hope 
in your times of great distress. You're quite passionate about Psalm 69. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a beautiful psalm. Yeah, yeah. And it gets messed up because yeah. of the, the the way that we sometimes make these. Futile debates. These, yeah, we make this massive thing yeah. out of out of out of a passage that's now taken out of its context of what it was meant to be. And when we focus on that minor part of the psalm, we can then lose sight of the overall message of the psalm. We can start to argue about things that are actually not really important in that psalm. And this can then be a waste of time, a waste of energy, and it can prevent us from getting the most out of the psalm. The best way to avoid this danger is then focus on the overall message of the psalm. We should read the psalm with an open mind, an open heart, and we should try to understand what the psalmist is trying to say. We want to let the original author have his say with regard to this. If we do that, we'll be able to get the most out of Psalm 69, and we'll be able to grow in our understanding of God's Word. So thank you to the listener for the question. We Great love question. these kind yeah. of questions, and we just love delving into God's Word, <laughs> don't we? Yes, we do. And uh, with that, uh, we're also instructed by Ikasa to play some music. Anya and Enrico, we're going to take a quick breather, a sip of water, and then when we come back, Linda, thank you so much. Please explain Revelations 13, 16, Great and Small. Uh, taking the mark. What does the scripture mean by that? Uh, when they talk small, does it mean children has to also get the mark? We've got a question here uh, about uh, paradise and heaven after death. Uh, thank you so much uh, for that one. Let me just see If you've got a question and you want to get it in on time, 082-657-2729. Get it through to us in studio. And Nombuso, uh, bless your heart. I see your WhatsApp just came in. Uh, we'll tackle that one as well if time permits. But first, Anya Enrico, Oceans of Your Heart. Jy is ingeskakel op skriftuurlik, die oorloos, jy sê, bykans 18 minuten dan voor, uh, wat is het, 12 uur, ons kreeg saam tot 12 uur, saam met my in die atelier, pastoor Rocky Stevenson, en ons onderzoek is saam met jou die skrifte. Sissel, baie dankie vir jullie vraag, hy het vir ons een WhatsApp gestuur, en sê, ek wil graag weet, of gelovig is na afsterwe gaan, na die paradijs of die hemel, hy stel die twee daar, en ek het al die vraag op Radio Kansel gevraag, maar baie sê die paradijs is nog steeds daar, waar dit al vir eeuwe bestaan, en dit is dan my vraag. So, that the question that is posing this morning, Rocky, I'm not sure if you're quite uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, on top of it. And so, what it, so we, we've, t- we've touched on this a number of times before. The Bible teaches that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, that is for believers in particular. Those believers will be in a waiting room kind of a heaven because they have not yet received their resurrected bodies, which Being will par- happen. Paradise. Then. Yes. Meaning which will, paradise. Which will be that you will receive your resurrected body at the rapture when the church is raptured from the earth and the dead in Christ rise from the dead. And they will precede those, and that First Thessalonians teaches us on that. What about those who says sleeping in the Lord? Yeah, those that are sleeping in the Lord. That's yeah. that's exactly what it is. The, right. the sleeping in the Lord is the body is gone to sleep as such, and that's right. the kind of concept that is spoken about. But okay. to be absent from the body, present, present with the Lord, with is that looking forward with hope for the day of redemption, where right. we will receive those glorified bodies and we will enjoy the marriage feast of the Lamb. For that seven years while the tribulation period takes place on the earth, yeah. the, the body of Christ, will, the bride of Christ, will enjoy that marriage feast with the, with the Lamb. 
and that that we look forward to. That's part of what our anticipation is, even when we take part in the Lord's Supper. Remember when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he says, I long to eat this with you, and I will yeah. one day in paradise. All right. And so that is where, where the Lord is. So but, I hope that's helpful for Cecil in his and, question. And the notion there, he's, he's, he's mentioning, he says, paradise where it has been throughout the ages. Uh, there's no indication of where paradise is, is it? Does, does the Bible give us any idea? Yeah, it, it, it's, we do know that it is a spiritual realm yeah. in that, that sense. And uh, I guess the, the best way to say it is that paradise is where he is. <laughs> and he, yes. Um, the, he did create the heavens and the earth. We do see the angelic world, and we do see even in, in books like Job in the beginning where you've got the, the sons of God that are coming before him, and um, you have got that heavenly realm in a sense. And, and it would seem that it is not like this this physical realm. You know, there's some that would say Genesis 11, that the people of, um, you know, the, the, the Tower of Babel, that they were trying to get to heaven and that they would have been able to actually get there. And I think we had a question about that once before as well. They couldn't have actually got to heaven, to the paradise, because it is a, a spiritual realm, um, which is not like this physical realm. All right. And so, but paradise is where, where he is. And paradise would be the same today as what it was even during the time of um, so throughout the ages, the same place. The ages, yes. yeah. know, they, it would seem that that biblically there, and we touched on that a few a little while ago when when Paul has he speaks about his vision of going to the third heaven. Yeah, it would seem that there were there's this concept, and it was a, a Hebrew kind of concept where you would have the first heaven, second heaven, third heaven, and that first heaven would have been known as Abraham's bosom, you know, and that would have been where the Old Testament saints would have been before. Christ had gone to the cross and he said it is finished and he was buried and he rose again uh, victorious. So there would have been that kind of a waiting room. And then there's that second heaven, which is that place that even those saints then have joined the church age saints in waiting uh, for the third heaven, which would be then that time where we um, actually are receiving our glorified bodies that are like Christ's body. And so there does seem to be some of those type of concepts through the Bible. But um, I think the easiest way to look at it is paradise is where the Lord Jesus yeah. is, and that's where we will be. Just a sideline remark. Uh, I know you, I think you know the gospel artist Carmen, who has gone to be with the Lord now, wrote this song mm. called Third Heaven. Uh, in fact, just put it on the, on the playlist, on the playlist. Okay. there. So, yeah. so thank you so much. Sissel, uh, bless your heart. Bye, thank you. Dan for die vraag. 082-657-2729. Linda, you up next. Pastor Rocky Weinand, please explain Revelation. 1316. Uh, Rocky, if you can kindly just read that to us about yeah. the, the small and the great. Does it mean small? And then she says, does it mean are they talking about children here? Or, or, or what does the scripture actually mean? And what is the context of that particular scripture? Do, do we know? Does scripture give us any yes. indication? Yeah, let me read it. It says, and he caused all, the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves, that they be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead, and that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, of man, and his number is 666. Now this is earlier on, you find that you have a beast coming up from the earth in verse 11, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he was speaking 
as a dragon, and he exercised all authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose fatal wound was healed. And he does great signs, so that he will make makes fire come down out of heaven and on earth to, in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs that were given to him to do. And and so you see that this is part of that tribulation period. The context of this is within that seven-year tribulation, most likely after the three-and-a-half-year mark even of the tribulation. So there are different views regarding this. You, you I believe that the biblical understanding is that the church is raptured before the beginning of the tribulation and the tribulation is a seven-year period it's the last week of the time of terror of of daniel it's the time of jacob's trouble trouble and and there's and and at that three and a half year mark the beast actually or satan the antichrist sets himself up as god within the rebuilt temple and that is called the abomination of desolation and at that point there's a mass turning of Israel even towards him. But it's during this seven-year period that you find the mark of the beast taking place. And yes, I would believe that this is done with young and old. It's done with great Can't and small. Can't sing your kids it's to the cafe and try and, them. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so some Christians believe that this verse is referring to a literal mark that will be given to people during the end times. And I, I'm, I hold to that view. I believe yeah. that that is the more literal kind of a... Uh, away, we actually see some technologies today already in existence where they're putting microchips in the right hand or in the forehead. This mark will be a sign of allegiance to the Antichrist, who will be powerful and he will be an evil ruler, who who will and and those who receive the mark will be unable to buy or sell, which will will make it so difficult for them to actually survive in this time if they do not take the mark. We yeah. do see tribulation saints that do res- refuse the mark that are actually even beheaded during the time of the seven-year tribulation, who later on are raised, and they are. Um, we have the 144,000 in the very next chapter, and that's 144,000 of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And I believe that that is uh, in alignment with a lot of the Old Testament prophecies, and even Zechariah 14 is a good one to go and look at. And Micah, they will look on him whom they pierced, and they will repent. And that happens at that three-and-a-half-year mark. Of, of the tribulation period. Some other Christians believe that the mark of the beast will not come about until after the rapture of the church. That's what I would hold to. There's others that don't hold to that, and I believe that is the most biblically accurate uh, way of looking at passages like this, eschatological passages. We don't look at it figuratively, but we look at it literally in regard to the the fact that Christ came in his first coming, a literal fulfillment oh. of Old Testament prophecy. Christ will literally come. That's the 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 um the way of understanding his second coming but i think for the christian we can get a little bit scared about passages like that it shouldn't do that the whole of revelation actually is written to give us hope and why does it give us hope is because the christian is rescued from this we were not destined for wrath first first thessalonians 5 verse 9 the church is rescued from this so though we are told about what happens during this time the Christian doesn't need to worry about this. The Christian must keep on being a Christian in our day, seeking to let their light shine and seeking to honor Christ. There is a day that the rapture will come. And 
And we can look forward to that as Christians. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18, that passage talks about the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1 to 11, that passage talks about the events that will happen during the tribulation period. And that's where this context comes in. Revelation 3, 10, that passage talks about the, the protection that God will give to his people during the tribulation. So concluding that thought, the mark of the beast is a very real threat during the tribulation period. It's not something that Christians should be so worried about right now because that will happen only during the tribulation. All of these things happening in our world at the moment, yes, there is the birth pains. Yeah. You know, there's, yeah, the there's a getting ready for it. And you can see, I mean, if you've got eyes to see and ears to hear, you can see that, that these things are heading towards that one world government, that the, the appearing of the Antichrist. But that will only happen once the yeah. church has been raptured. And that, that's where... The, the restrainer, the Holy Spirit, is removed from this world with those that are saved. And so the Christian that, that thinks through these passages, rather let it bring you hope than bring despair. Okay. All right, uh, Linda, hope that uh, makes uh, sense to you. Thank you so much. Thank you. you up next, my brother. Let me just check with Rocky. Yeah. Do we have enough time? Rocky, would that be possible? Nombuso yeah, has got a very interesting question. I think we can try and, and deal with it. And hopefully Hebrews it will, 6 and it verse 46. Go uh, yeah, for it. Yeah, hopefully we can give um, a little bit of a insight into that. Hebrews 6. Verse 4 to 6 says, For in the case of those who once having been enlightened and having tasted of the heavenly gift and having become partakers of the Holy Spirit and having tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and having fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. This passage, um, and, I, and I'm sure that um, the question has come about because of us talking a little bit about um, the fact that you cannot lose your salvation. And sometimes this is something that people will will come to and say, but you see, there's a group that actually could lose their salvation. This verse is speaking specifically about apostates. God knows who apostates are. It's somebody like a Judas who had gone with Jesus all the way, and there's this, this pinnacle point of rejection because they've chosen all along they've had this ulterior motive in regard to their walk with God. And this passage in Hebrews speaks about those that are part of the church family, part of the Lord's Supper, have gone through the waters of baptism, but they reject Jesus Christ in the end. And this is not somebody that has been actually truly born again. This is somebody that you might think was born again, but actually is not. I think where our danger come is, comes is where we want to assume who the apostate is. God knows who that is. The wheat and the tares. Yes, and, and we, and the goat. you know, God sees that difference and he knows exactly who these people are. Yeah. It's not for you and I to come and say, well, that person's this. To me, anybody that has breath in their lungs, that's somebody that can repent and turn to the Lord Jesus. So this passage is often used by some Christians to argue that somebody could lose their salvation. They believe that if somebody falls away from their faith, that they can never be saved again. However, I believe that biblically this passage is not talking about losing salvation, but rather about the danger of apostasy. And that's what the book of Hebrews even does for us. So apostasy is deliberate, willful rejection of Christ. That's the definition of apostasy. It is deliberate, willful rejection of Christ. It is simply, um, um, it's not just simply a mistake or a lapse of faith or a bit of sin. 
It's a willful and deliberate rejection of Christ. Okay, Nombuzo, I hope that makes sense to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for highlighting Hebrews 4 and verse 6. Rocky, bless your heart. Can you believe it? One hour, gone, done, dusted into all eternity, never to repeat itself again. Uh, if people want to write to you, be in touch with you, where do they get all of you? Welcome to send emails to Rocky Steve. Oh, sorry, getting my wrong email address. Pastor there. at BenoniBibleChurch.co.za. Simple as that. Pastor. I, I just saw the one question here that I can answer in a quick sentence. It asks the question anonymous who then are mediums and spiritists contacting? The simple answer they are contacting demons. All right. Yeah. There you have it, Janice. Uh, and we squeeze that one in. Love and leave you till next time. Now you've got to search the scriptures to see if these things are so. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my word. Till next time, keep well. God bless you. Shalom.